So as we begin 2024 in Sojourners Women, I want to help you to focus on God's amazing grace. This is going to be a simple lesson, but I hope the topic of God's grace will touch you as well because it is extremely important. I pray that what I share will touch your heart and your mind, and I hope that you will be reminded of God's grace in your life every day and will thank God for his love, his forgiveness, his guidance, and for his grace. Now, grace is a short little word. It has five letters, and it has only one syllable, but it's emphasized throughout the Bible. God's grace is unending, powerful, sufficient, and necessary to receive salvation and also to grow spiritually. But we often fail to meditate on God's grace in our lives. Without his grace, we would have no hope for salvation or sanctification. And it's so easy to say or read the verses that have grace in them. And I often read or say those verses just automatically and kind of go through them quickly without considering the value of God's grace for me. So today, I hope to teach about grace in a way that it will be at the forefront of your mind and that it will encourage you as you go through this year, 2024. Now, we often study God's word to obtain knowledge and to learn facts, but we need to apply that information in our lives. How can we fully appreciate God's mercy, his faithfulness, his love, his forgiveness, and grace. And you can already see you're going to hear grace a lot as I speak. Now, one way that the Lord helps me focus on key words or specific topics of Scripture is by listening to those words or topics as our pastors teach. Last year, when I taught about trusting and obeying the Lord, I heard those words repeatedly from various pastors as I prepared my lesson. I found that to be true as well as I prepared this lesson about grace. I was so amazed on, New on Christmas Eve when Abner got up to teach in Sojourners on Daniel 9, and his first topic on his three-point outline was grace. And it was a wonderful message. I would encourage you, if you were not here that Sunday, to hear it, that you would listen to it. No one teaches it better than Abner and John, I have to say. They are wonderful pastors. And often, scripture or scripture topics are easier to remember when they're put to music. I know ladies who memorize scripture, and they try to do it with singing it, and it helps to remember it that way. So by, before I share my brief lesson, I want to begin by singing a hymn. And there were so many wonderful hymns about grace. I really had a hard time choosing one of them. The, other, the one was evident that we had to end with. But we're going to sing two, and you will totally understand the choice of both of these hymns. They're a beautiful reminder of God's love, his mercy, and his grace to us. 
Now, the first one we're going to sing, you probably are familiar with it. And I find it helpful with these hymns, if possible, to find out information about the person who wrote the hymn. These lyrics were written by a lady by the name of Julia Johnston. You probably never heard of her, and I haven't either. I'm not even sure where she lived, except she was in the United States. But she was the daughter of a Presbyterian minister, and she faithfully served as a Sunday school superintendent and teacher in her father's church. She taught there for 41 years. She authored several books and Sunday school lessons and wrote lyrics for about 500 hymns. This first hymn that we're going to sing is probably her best-known hymn. Now, the melody for this hymn was a man named Daniel Towner. And I'm one because I like music. When we sing hymns in church or other places, I like to look at the bottom to see who wrote it or who wrote the music or the lyrics, and they're always there. And you will see Daniel Towner's name at the bottom of a lot of hymns because he published more than 2,000 compositions. Last year, when I did Trust and Obey, we sang Trust and Obey. He also wrote that hymn as well. These hymns are not only beautiful, but their words are so accurate to Scripture. Now, songs are not meant to replace Scripture in our lives, but they do help to reinforce Scripture and help us to remember it. So, as Georgie comes, you can find a song sheet. They are on the table, and we're going to sing Grace Greater Than Our Sin. And as you sing, if not only try to sing it, focus on what it says, because we're going to talk about it a little bit later. Now, there's a wonderful lesson about grace just in that hymn. Look at verse 1. It says, grace exceeds our sin and guilt. Verse 2, sin and despair threaten us with infinite loss. However, grace points us to refuge because of Christ's death on the cross. Verse 3 says, we cannot hide our sin but the blood of Christ washes that sin away. And by God's grace, we are as white as snow. Verse 4 said, God's grace is marvelous, it's infinite and matchless, and it's freely bestowed on all who believe. Look at that word infinite. It means limitless or endless. Infinite means impossible to measure or calculate. And that is truly an accurate description of God's grace. The chorus that you sang so beautifully, God's grace will pardon and cleanse within. And God's grace is greater than all our sin. This hymn alone shares God's plan of salvation in such a beautiful and memorable way. And God's grace is greater than our sin. And we are saved by his grace alone. Now, let's focus on the definition of grace. What does it really mean to give or receive grace? The definition of grace is undeserved favor. Grace cannot be earned. It is freely given. Without God's faithfulness, forgiveness, mercy, and grace, all mankind 
would be doomed. Now, I have two sisters who both still live in Oklahoma, and one of them, Melinda, speaks often in her church, and she knew I was going to speak on grace today. So she sent me this little analogy about God's grace, and it was just too good not to share. And it talks about a person who was late to work, and they were running behind, so they were rushing down the freeway and were going 20 miles over the speed limit. And they got caught. And so an officer pulled them over and talked to them about the fact that they were speeding. And the officer said, because of that, I must give you a ticket. So the officer wrote out a ticket. And first of all, he said, well, I'll just give you a warning. He was showing mercy. Because, and that was not deserved. Then he, get, he decided, well, I'll give you the ticket. And that was showing his justice. And that was deserved because you were breaking the law. But then he says, I don't know about that. And he takes the ticket and puts it in his pocket. And he says, I'll just pay your fine myself. And if you'd like, let's just meet for dinner later today, and I'll take you out for dinner. That is grace. And it is something that the speeder didn't deserve. He deserved the ticket, but the officer instead showed his grace. And that's what God does for us in our sins. 2 Timothy 1.9 says, He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given to us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. Now, I, looked, I googled this, and it said the word grace is mentioned in 170 Bible verses throughout Scripture. In fact, you see God's grace in every chapter of the Bible. If you look at the people who are mentioned in the Bible, they certainly experienced God's grace, and they did not deserve it by any means. But today, I want to focus really on only three verses, but one passage of Scripture in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2, and it's starting, it's mainly verses 1 through 10. And in the MacArthur Study Bible, there's a title above it, and the title says, By Grace Through Faith, and that is what salvation is. And the verses that are the main focus, you probably have memorized all of them. If you know it, you can say it with me. For by grace you have been saved through faith, this not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Now think about this. Who wrote the book of Ephesians? Did Paul receive God's grace? By all means. He certainly did not deserve it by any means. And also, Paul was privileged to write 13 books of the Bible. There... It's speculated he might have written Hebrews, but they don't know for sure. 
but once he was saved, he was on fire to share God's grace to people around him. He never faltered. He had his, his moments of doubt, possibly, but he was always faithful and thankful for the grace of God. In 1 Timothy 1, Paul described his sinful past. In verse 12, he wrote, he was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, a violent aggressor. In verse 15, he wrote that he was the foremost of sinners. But in verse 15, Paul said, he was shown mercy in grace. Christ would use the life of Paul to spread and write the gospel and to be an example of God's mercy, forgiveness, and grace to even the vilest sinner. Paul's salvation provides hope for us as well as we see the work of God's grace in his life. Now look at the beginning of verse 8. It says, By grace you have been saved. What has God's grace saved us from? Well, you can see that in the first three verses of Ephesians 2. And it says, Before we were saved by grace, you were dead in your trespasses and sin, in which you formerly walked, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and the mind, and by nature were children of wrath, even as the rest. So, in verse 1, it says, Before we were saved, we were dead in our trespasses and sin. We were unforgiven in our spiritual life because of our trespasses and sin. We had no desire to learn spiritual things and certainly had no desire to live a life of obedience to God. Verse 2 says, We conformed to the ways of the world and heeded the lies of Satan. We felt no remorse or guilt when we sinned against God. Verse 3 says, We walked in the lusts of the flesh or in our sinful nature. We desired to live in a sinful way and had no desire to obey God. We were controlled by the world, the flesh, and Satan, and we were lost to God. However, and I'm so thankful there's a however, God's love, mercy, and grace is greater than all our sin. And we have verses 4 through 7. Let's look at those, four, those three verses. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. God is rich in mercy. He even loves us when we transgress and sin against him. By his grace, he will save us when we are spiritually dead. 
and he will raise us up to have fellowship with God. Verse 7 emphasizes that we're saved by God's grace. It's totally a gift. Mankind cannot earn it, and it's because of the sacrifice of Christ. Now, these were just a few of the points that Abner brought out in his message. He said God's greatest grace was shown at Calvary. He also said God's grace is immediate. God's grace is offered despite our sin. We cannot be too sinful to receive God's grace. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And God's grace is sacrificial. He also said we are not worthy of God's grace, but he offers it to us anyway. God's grace is not conditional, and it never changes. Now, you know I can never speak without quoting something from Paul Tripp, and today is no exception. He writes in such a descriptive way, and it's so easy to understand, and I could never choose the words or write it as well as he does. So I'm going to share a quote from one of his devotionals, and this is what he wrote. Grace is the most transformational word in Scripture. Think about that. The entire Bible is a narrative of God's grace, a story of undeserved redemption. God unilaterally, meaning just one way, only God does this, reaches into the sin of this fallen world through the presence of his son and radically transforms his children from what we are, which are sinners, into what we are becoming by his power, which is Christ-like. This is a great paragraph. God's grace will confront you with the fact that you are much less than you thought you were, even as it assures you that you can be far more than you had ever imagined. God's grace will put you in your place without ever putting you down. God's grace will confront you with profound weaknesses while introducing you to a newfound strength. God's grace will convince you of your unworthiness without ever making you feel unloved. God's grace will make you acknowledge God's favor, and it will remove your fear of not measuring up to his standards. God's grace will dash your hopes in you, but introduce you to the one who is hope. That's the end of his quote. So how do we receive this grace? Well, go back to Ephesians 2, 8. We receive it by faith. Now, faith is a complete trust or confidence in someone or something. You have faith that that chair is going to hold you up right now. You got in your car this morning to come here, and you had faith that you would get here safely. But in this case, the faith that we're talking about, it's a belief and trust in God based on evidence but without total proof. Remember what I taught last year about trust and obey? Does anyone remember the verse that I emphasized? Do you know the passage? It's Proverbs Three, five, and six. Do you know it? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him 
and he will direct your paths or make your paths straight. So to trust in God is to have faith in him. The reason we can trust him and have faith in him is because, and here's another three-paragraph quote from Paul Tripp, the fact that you are precious in God's sight is clear because he purchased you at a great price. No higher price could be paid than the death of the Messiah. But that is exactly the price that God paid to redeem you and me. Since he paid such a price, we can rest assured that he will expend his divine power and grace to protect, mature, provide for, and keep us until we are with him in a place where the dangers of sin and death do not exist. In Romans 8, 31 to 33, it says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? So if God freely gave us Jesus, doesn't it make sense that he will also give us everything that we need and show his grace? Still Paul Tripp, so don't let any evil enemy whisper lies into your ear. Don't let him tell you that you are alone, that you're left to your own resources, or that God doesn't hear or care. Don't let yourself doubt God's presence and his goodness. Don't let yourself wonder if you'll make it through. God unleashed his power to make you his own, and he will continue to unleash his power to keep and protect you until you are with him forever in that special place he has prepared for you. We cannot say this enough. This is my words now. To receive God's grace, was the, we must believe that he sent the promised Messiah who died as a sacrifice for our sins. We must place our faith in God's word and believe that it is true. We must not doubt that it's true, and we must not listen to false teaching or heed the temptations to doubt that quick Satan so quickly can put in our mind. Peter tells us in 2 Peter 3.18, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And by God's grace, he will help you to grow in grace and knowledge. And I am so thankful to be a part of this church where we have such wonderful teachers who teach us accurately and help us to grow in our walk and in our knowledge. And also remember, God's grace is sufficient. Now, Paul wrote about an ongoing problem. This is when he was talking to the Lord about the thorn in the flesh that he had. And God's reply to Paul was, and it can be replied to us too, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. God extends that same promise to us today. His grace is sufficient, and God is faithful to us in all circumstances. 
Remember the verse I'm emphasizing, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. Let's say it one more time. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. So because of God's grace, we have the Holy Spirit to draw us near to God and to teach us his word and to help us walk faithfully as a child of God. In John 14, 26, the, uh, Jesus comforted his disciples before he left to go be with the Lord. He said, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And God did indeed send the Holy Spirit to the disciples to help them, comfort them, and teach them in their ministry. And that same Holy Spirit is available to all of us today. This is the message through the entire Bible, beginning in Genesis and ending in Revelation. We should focus on God's grace and remember that he shows that to us every day. His grace is always evident. You've got to thank the Lord for that. We should thank him for that every day. Now, in a little bit, not yet, we're going to sing another song that you'll see on the song sheet, and it's probably the best-known hymn about God's grace, and we're going to sing it before closing. This hymn is probably the most popular of all hymns. Everyone knows this song. Even unbelievers know that song, or at least they are familiar with the melody. And they know the first stanza. It's, prob it's played often at military, state, and private funerals. And it's often played with bagpipes. You could never forget that. And it's frequently sung in church services. Now, that song was written by John Newton, and in November, in Titus 2, probably some of you attended one of the Titus 2 sessions, we taught about John Newton, and the emphasis in that lesson was the grace of God. Now, I'm not going to share the entire bi biography because that would take an, a whole hour, and that's not the point of this, but... I want to just share briefly in a kind of a summary of John Newton's life, who wrote this song, this song. He began his life well, as many of us have been privileged to do, because he grew up with a strong Christian influence in his home. His father was a sea captain and would be gone for months or even years at a time. John was an only child and greatly loved by his godly mother. She taught him to love the Lord and to memorize scripture. By the time he was three, he could read quite well. By the time he was four, he had memorized whole chapters of scripture. I can't do that today. And at the age of six, he was learning Latin. And John's mother would proudly tell anyone who would listen to her, that one day her son John was going to be a pastor. But by the time John was seven years of age, his life changed dramatically. 
because his mother died. His father was always gone, and they didn't know where where John could go. And by a series of circumstances, he ended up at the age of 11 on his father's ship. He went to sea, which would be very young to be exposed to that kind of a life. And John was so lonely and sad. His life became difficult, but it really became difficult because of his sinful and bad choices that he made. And during that process, John became angry at God for the changes in his life. He eventually, he became a liar, a drunkard, a troublemaker, untrustworthy, and disobedient toward those in authority over him. He even became captain of of slave ships, and he did that for many years. And he saw nothing wrong in his cruel treatment of his crew as well as the slaves on his ships. And he was hated by anyone who knew him or who had to work under him. And they would have been astounded to think that John's mother thought he would be a pastor someday. Now, many people gave up on John. Some didn't. Some faithfully prayed for him that he would be saved. And God, in his mercy and grace, honored those prayers. And... Many people felt he was hopelessly lost, but there is a however here as well. God never gave up on John. He's continued to pursue John. And eventually, John Newton repented of his sins. He desired to learn scripture and serve the Lord. Now, his journey was not straight and upward or anything. It was like this. He certainly had a lot to overcome. But he did eventually become pastor of a large church in London, and his ministry was very successful. He became an outstanding and beloved pastor. In his church, he began even having Sunday schools for the children and adults, and that was unheard of in churches in England at that time. Um, He also was concerned about the lack of good hymns in the church. It was Most of their services were very formal. So someone encouraged him if he wanted more hymns, he should just write them. So he did with the help of friends. And John wrote over 300 hymns. Best known, of course, is Amazing Grace. John also believed strongly in the power of prayer. So he conducted four special prayer meetings in his church each week. Many prominent people attended his church, but John insisted everyone had to be welcome, the rich, the poor, the sick, and the needy. John's ministry grew and the church expanded. People flocked to his church to hear him preach. Indeed, God answered his mother's prayers. Wouldn't she have been proud to know that? Also, during his ministry, John became friends with a man by the name of William Wilberforce, who was working very hard to stop slavery in England. And John was a vocal opponent to slavery as well. And he lived long enough to see the British Parliament pass the Slave Trade Act of 1807, which ended slavery in England. John's life was a testament to the grace of God 
And if you want to read a wonderful book, it's so readable, it's, you can't put it down. Here is a biography written about John Newton. It's written by a man named Jonathan Aitken. And I love the title of it. It says, John Newton, From Disgrace to Amazing Grace. Isn't that a wonderful title? Now, I pray that this simple lesson will help you to focus on the grace of God in your life. And you will thank God and look for that grace every day. No matter how difficult some days may be, rest assured, Christ is right next to you to encourage you, to hold you strong, to walk with you through the difficulties, and to give you his strength and grace. Remember Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, to trust in the Lord. In closing, I want to share a famous quote of John Newton, and I, I believe it applies to all of us as well. I, I know this would be my desire, and this is what the quote says. I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I want to be. I am not what I hope to be. But still... I'm not what I once used to be, and by the grace of God, I am what I am. Hebrews 4.16 says, Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And I thank God that his grace will be there when I seek it, And I want to appreciate that every day of my life.